Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Are you scared of heights? Who's scared of heights? Yes? Who's not scared? Who's not scared of heights? Excellent. Well, tell me how you feel about this experience. It's a simulated it's a simulated glass breaking on a glass bridge with sound and sights. That's exactly what I would except I'd be screaming. The stark terror of it, you know, this is like hundreds of feet up in the ground. Who thought of who thinks of those things? Who thought that would be fun? Last week Mark Hagen shared a heights story, didn't he? particularly at Jessica's expense, a terrifying experience they had. And I know that many of you empathize with that because I, you talked about it. Um, I remember one of my own quite vividly. We took our boys up the Calgary Tower. Yep. Did you know the Calgary Tower has a glass floor up there, partially glassed? Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't either. You're supposed to walk on it, apparently. <laughs> oh, man. My uh, oldest thoroughly enjoyed jumping up and down on the glass floor, joyously watching as I sort of hugged the steel girder and refused to let go, tried not to puke. And you can just imagine what my response would have been if the floor had cracked, because that's actually what I was thinking about the whole time. What if the floor cracks? You know, you're walking out there and you think, and you're looking down at Ninth Ave. It's awful. Well, it was for me anyway. Now, just imagine if someone had then taken, you know, someone uh, the day I was at the Calgary Tower had said to me, oh, come, come. There's a side door. We can go out on top. And then that person said, actually, why don't you jump off and trust God to catch you? Anyone be tempted at that point? <laughs> no. But that's what we get today in the third temptation of Jesus. He's taken up to the highest point of the temple, and he's told to jump and trust. Now, Jesus would not have screamed like a child at the cracking glass, I realize that, but he wasn't about to pull a stupid stunt either. And today we're going to find out why. Find out what this all means for us. We're in Luke's gospel, chapter 4. That's the third gospel, a third book in the New Testament. And we've been moving through Luke with the mindset of an apprentice. We've been treating his gospel like a master class. And we've been soaking in this teaching so that we can learn how to follow Jesus and 
apprentice become competent in his kingdom trade. And I love how you have been digging into this study. How many of you are, have been talking to me and talking to each other because you've been engaging with this teaching. A number of you have talked in a variety of ways about how you've been thinking about what we called the 252 growth plan from Luke 252, where we thought about how are we growing in wisdom? How are we growing in stature? In other words, how are we taking care of our, our, our own temples, our bodies, uh, to the glory of God? Um, how, are we, how are we growing in favor with God and with others? And, and you've been talking about that and thinking intentionally about that. And many of you also have been taking up the call the last few weeks and have been memorizing scripture as one of the key ways that we can follow the example of Jesus right here in these temptation stories. He committed God's word to his heart and mind. We should too as his followers, as his apprentices. And you've been thinking of yourselves as apprentices because as apprentices, of course, we're biased toward concrete action. We're poised for obedience to what we're hearing. We want to put it into practice. And as we've been exploring these temptations of Jesus, we've been watching how Jesus responds to these trials, these temptations. And we've been looking at his example, looking at what he said, and we've been receiving from him vital clues for how we need to act in our own trials, in our own situations as we uh, follow Jesus. Last week, of course, we paused and Mark spoke to us. I'm very thankful for his encouragement last week. Now we're back in Luke. Remember, after Jesus was baptized as a representative of not only all Israel, but all humans, the Holy Spirit then led Jesus into the wilderness where he fasted from food for 40 days. And at the end of that, he underwent severe temptations by the devil himself. Hungry? 40 days without food. Hungry, the devil said. Ah, Tell these stones to become bread. Prove you're really the son of God. Be self-sufficient. That was the first one. Scared of suffering? Well, hey, no problem. Bow down and worship me and you can have all the blessings that the father promised you without that guaranteed pain bit. Be smart. And Jesus shuts down both those temptations by quoting from his father's word, particularly from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8 and then chapter 6. In spite of all that the devil was lying about, in spite of all the assumptions he was making, all the insinuations, all the false ideas, what's so interesting is that Jesus didn't elaborate, he didn't engage, he didn't even argue, he didn't try to negotiate, he didn't push back in any other way than simply taking God's word and then just squashing the devil's foolishness. God's word was Jesus's weapon and he wielded it like a master swordsman. And we should learn something from that. That's why we're memorizing scripture. But two can play that game. Uh, Or at least that's what the devil thought. Because in this third and final temptation, the devil tries to outmaneuver Jesus by using God's word against him. Let's see how he fares. Let's see how Jesus responds and what we can learn today as apprentices of this wonderful man. So Luke chapter four, starting in verse nine. I'll read it through to verse 13. The devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let's walk back through this passage and see what we see. First, I want you to notice how the devil reuses a strategy that he's already tried. Did you notice that? He appeals to Jesus' identity as the son of God. As we saw in the first temptation, this, if you are the son of God, could be both uh, a question, if, or a statement. Like, okay, if you're the son of God, sort of a, 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 a one that's designed to make him sort of prove it, or the other one to use it. But either way, it comes down to the same thing. The father calls you his beloved son. Now, why don't you use that identity to do something powerful for yourself? That's the essential temptation. In the first instance, it was use your identity to provide for yourself rather than trusting the father for his provision. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to trust the father's word. It's all I need. In the final case, it's, it's more about using his identity to prove his father's love and care rather than, you know, rather than actually choosing to trust in his character. You know, see if God will really come through for you. So the devil uses the identity of Jesus to try to manipulate Jesus. He'll do the same for us, the same for you. Try to lie to you and say, well, if, if, if Jesus really loves you, then, and you got to be careful with what follows. This is what he tries with Jesus. But it's kind of a worn-out strategy at this point. You know, like, how dumb does he think Jesus is? He's not going to fall for that. Jesus isn't going to fall for that nonsense. He knows who he is. He knows who the Father says he is. He knows his Father. He doesn't need to prove that to anyone, least of all to this joker. And so this is where the old devil pulls out a new trick. He reaches... Very interesting. He reaches for the same weapon that Jesus has been using against him. Now to thwart Jesus. He tries to use God's word to manipulate him. The devil is standing with Jesus 150 feet or so above the city of Jerusalem. It's probably windy, a little bit sickening in its height. And he now quotes from one of the great protection psalms of the Bible. Psalm 91. And Psalm 91 is awesome. It's a wonderfully assuring picture of God's faithful care for his people. And we should all be very familiar with it. And so I want you to hear the words. I want you to imagine yourself in a difficult situation. Maybe you don't have to imagine very hard because you're in a difficult situation. I want you to imagine yourself in a difficult situation and then hear these words, these beautiful promises from Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, 
The Lord is my refuge. And you make the most high your dwelling. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It is a beautiful psalm. Do you hear it? Boy, if you're in trouble, this is the one. As a very young man, I faced a terrifying month in a country that was melting down from a political coup. My mom wasn't happy, I'll tell you. I was 17, and I couldn't get out of the country because nobody was flying in. And I remember vividly reading Psalm 91 over and over again, and I was very comforted by these words. God will take care of me. Because if you're facing trouble, if you're struggling with anxiety, if you're worried about what's happening in the world or what's happening in your world, if you're feeling sick with fear and sorrow, Psalm 91 is a beautiful assurance of God's care and love for you, that God is your refuge and your fortress, your God in whom you trust. And so perhaps, I think this is possible, perhaps the devil knows that even Jesus is carrying some fear about the suffering that's coming. And so he reaches for this psalm to tempt him. Because what the devil does here is very sneaky. It's very subtle. Listen to this carefully. Rather than calling Jesus to trust his father's care in the midst of trouble, he tries to get him to create trouble now in order to prove God's care. Do you see the difference? I'll read that again. Rather than calling Jesus to trust his father's care in the midst of trouble that's coming, he tries to get him to create trouble now in order to test God's care. See the difference? Trouble's coming. I mean, that is sure. Jesus can trust his father's care. But the devil wants him to sort of preempt that. You know, create some sort of self-induced trouble now. Throw yourself down to prove in advance God's care for him. It's very tricky, isn't it? Because it's one thing to experience trouble and suffering and learn to trust God in it. And so many of you have experienced trouble and learned to trust God in it. And you can, you can give testimony to that. But it's something entirely different to go out and create a problem which we then sit back and demand God solve in order to prove his love for us. And the truth is, you can't have it both ways. Jesus can't, we can't. We can either trust God, or we can test God, but we can't do both. You can trust God, or you can test God, but you can't do both. And the devil takes this psalm of trust and tries to flip it into a proof of trust. Throw yourself down, fancy boy. You know, that's what he's saying. God promised to catch you, didn't he? says so right here in God's word. That's what the devil's doing. You, you, you can just see him. You do believe in God's word, don't you? You know, I know you do. You do trust what God says, don't you? 
Sure you do. I mean, you aren't claiming to believe in the Father's word, but now failing to back it up with some real action. Are you, Jesus? Don't be all talk. Show that you really do trust your Father's care. Come on, prove it. Jump, 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 jump. That's what's going on. You see how subtle that is? He takes Psalm 91 that's meant to encourage God's people, encourage Jesus to trust in the Father's care, but now he's quoting it to actually incite mistrust in God. Sneaky devil. But again, thankfully, Jesus is no fool. He sees right through this misuse of God's word, but he doesn't shy away from its true power. He reaches yet again for the sword of Scripture, but this time from really the same passage as he just quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He just said, it is said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In its context, this is the same passage where Israel is told to worship God and serve him only. That's what he quoted just last time. And the people of Israel were also told not to test Yahweh like they had continually done when they were wandering around in the wilderness. Now, in these original stories, putting God to the test is not, I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but, but I don't know, and I'm, I'm feeling anxious, and uh, it's sort of a help, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That is not what this is. Putting God to the test is not a humble asking of God for help or struggling with doubt. That is not what this is. Putting God to the test was a defiant demand that God do for us what we want, how we want it, and when we want it done. Putting God to the test in every instance in the old stories was rebellious mistrust, not a worshiping trust. And Israel is warned again and again not to do it. In fact, much of the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book, fifth book, in the Bible, it was just that. Moses trying to get the current generation to learn from their failed elders to not do what they did, but instead to trust. Now, as the story continues, God's people do continue to put God to the test over and over again, both before they entered the promised land and then later. Because remember, these wilderness temptations, what we're watching Jesus do right now in Luke is Jesus' way of reenacting the wilderness wanderings of disobedient Israel. Jesus comes now as the true and faithful Israelite, and Luke wants to show us how Jesus overcame where Israel failed. We're told in Psalm 106 that Israel, quote, soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wilderness, they put God to the test. You see the connection there? Because now Jesus comes. He's hungry in the wilderness, but he doesn't forget. He doesn't, uh, you know, go ahead. He waits patiently for the Father's plan to be unfolded. He doesn't give in to his craving. He doesn't put God to the test. Jesus trusts where there had been mistrust, and he refuses to rebelliously test God. Jesus knows the deeper truth of Psalm 91 in a way that the devil cannot possibly imagine, knowing that even as he goes to suffer, to be rejected, to be whipped, to be spit upon, to be ruined, to be hung upon a cross, he's still going to find himself sheltered in the shadow of the Shaddai, of the Almighty. His father would be with him in trouble, would deliver him and honor him. And so he trusts him, but he's not going to test him. 
And so for that, we just say, thank you, Jesus, for being faithful, right? Thank you, Jesus, for not giving in and for leading us forward. Well, what are the practical implications for us? I want to highlight just two of them. The first one actually has to do with the use of God's word. And that is this. We learn from this story that just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's biblical. Did you know that? Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's biblical. This is a super practical point. Now, we've seen Jesus immersed in the Holy Scriptures rely upon the Word of God in the most trying of times. We're going to see him do that again and again and again. The Word of his Father can be fully trusted, and he knows it. The Word of the Father is his sustenance. It's his protection. The word of the Father shapes Jesus' very identity, his mission, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and the kingdom that's coming. And we learn from Jesus that we really can trust the Father's word. His word is good and right and trustworthy and powerful, and nothing can outstrip its power. And that's why we've been taking the habit of memorizing the Bible so seriously, and I encourage you to continue to do that. We want to get God's word down deep, just like Jesus did, so we can draw upon it for strength and for wisdom and for assurance, so our minds can be renewed and we can call out the lies that we see or hear around us because we have the truth of God being deeper and deeper seated within us. We follow the example of our master. We want to live in accordance with God's ways, with his will. And in this third temptation, Luke offers us a very important insight about God's word. That in order to follow Jesus faithfully, we can't just go ripping scriptures out of context and applying them to our lives like bumper stickers on the back of a car. The holy scriptures are the holy um, word of, of the living Lord of all. And this book offers the only coherent story that is actually available to us as human beings, arching from creation through covenant on through to consummation. But it is coherent. It does hang together. This is one story. It's not a random collection of quotes and thoughts and fluffy things that make us feel good or, frankly, things that scare us to death, right? Because you want to turn to the wrong page back here and you get a little scared. So the Bible is the inspired word of God and it's given to us so that we can actually know and follow Jesus so that we can live and work and worship as human images of God that we were created and then recreated by the spirit to be. Without the Bible, we are absolutely lost in the dark. But that doesn't mean the Bible can just be ripped up and used like a collection of random memes that we share with friends. The verses... And then the stories, the letters, the laws, the books, the poetry, the songs, the, the, the histories, all that's in here, they actually fit into a larger narrative. And if we forget that, we not only miss the meaning, but we can even misuse it as well. And so we want to, as apprentices of Jesus, read the scriptures in their context. In one of the principles of many have learned over the years is that we then use scripture to interpret scripture. If you read something funny in one part, you look around and see what else the Bible has to say to round that out. In this case, 
Jesus hears the devil misquote Psalm 91, what does he do? He points to Deuteronomy 6 to counter that misinterpretation. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's biblical. Now, I say that not to intimidate you or to intimidate us because some of us are already afraid to open this thing and I just made you more afraid. That is not what I want. It's actually to call you more deeply into the story. The only solution to misuse is proper handling. And we should never be afraid to dive headfirst into the scriptures, to eat it up, to drink it in, to meditate on it, to reflect, to get into a Bible study, to to listen to it throughout the day. And through all of this, be confident that the Holy Spirit will lead us more deeply into the story of God and the story of ourselves. But we do approach this with humility. We approach it asking, how does this fit into the larger context? How does this fit into the bigger story? How does this connect with the truth of who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ? And we should also approach it in community. If you're only ever reading the Bible by yourself, you're not going to understand it. Worse, you might even misuse it, misinterpret it. The Bible is a communal book. It's meant to be read in community. It's meant to be part of our conversations. And if we're only individualistic about it, we can only go so far and frankly, sometimes go wrong. And so we read it in community where we submit to one another and we we sit under good teaching and and we sit with the historic Christian faith and, and we access the wise counsel of brothers and sisters. Well, the devil shows us here in this story what we often see all around us, and that is the Bible can be misused for nefarious purposes. Have you seen that? Has anyone witnessed that? Yeah, the Bible can be used for terrible reasons, sometimes by deceitful people, and sometimes just for people like, just shut up already. It's like, no, don't do that. Sometimes people are just ignorant and innocent, and sometimes not. But as apprentices of Jesus... We know and trust God's word enough to commit ourselves to learning it, to studying it, to a daily practice of reading it or listening to it. And if you have never done that before, don't be intimidated. You can start really, really small. A few minutes a day, you can listen. You can read. There's great Bible plans on the YouVersion app. Uh, You can can get a, a Bible and just start reading one of the Gospels. There are so many ways you can enter in. Don't be intimidated if this is new to you. But as apprentices of Jesus, we approach the scripture with a learning mindset, letting the Holy Spirit draw us more deeply into the story. And like Jesus, um, we're not going to pull back from the scripture because we see people mistreating it, misusing it, abusing it, reading it wrong. No, no. We're going to get more deeply into it so that we can more rightly discern when the scripture is being ripped out of its context and used in an inappropriate way, not so that we can rail on people, but so that we ourselves can, can just go, oh, that's not how it works. That doesn't fit the story. That, in fact, leads me in a direction that is not of God. The Spirit speaks through God's Word in His community and leads us forward. But it's important to hear, and this story teaches us, that just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it biblical. So that's the first implication. The second one is this. You already heard it. And it has to do with whether we're going to test God or that we're going to trust him. Because we can't test God and trust God at the same time. Let me ask you, are you feeling like God needs to prove he's faithful to you in order for you to trust him? In particular, do you feel like you need to test him in some particular way? 
so that God will prove himself to you first. Because if that's the case, you're not in a place of trust. And what we're invited to do on each day of the week, but particularly when we gather, maybe even particularly as we now approach Holy Week, is to remember that God our Father has already shown himself to be faithful to us 100%. God shown himself to be faithful all through the story of God's people, but climaxing in particular in the life, the ministry, the teaching, and then the death, the cross, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we're reminded in times like this is, well, what more do we really need? The biggest proof has already been given that God in his faithfulness has not abandoned us. He has come to us in Jesus and everything else pales in comparison. We root ourselves in that story and we then realize we are already resting in the shadow of the Almighty. We don't need to test him if we can just rest in him. So I invite you to reflect what's happening in your life right now that makes you feel like I need to test God's faithfulness. I need you to prove it to me. Where are you feeling that pull? Where are you feeling that maybe, you know, even desire to do something radical so you can just, just, God can show me. Where do you feel that in your heart now, in your life? Maybe it's uh, something that's going on in one of your kids' lives. Maybe it's a health struggle. Maybe it's financial. Or maybe it's just, you're just feeling done with life. I don't know what it might be for you, but there's an invitation here today as we look at Jesus, an invitation to trust, not to test, but to know that God has already proven himself fully faithful to us. We don't need to pull back. We get to lean in. And that's where the story leads us. You know, this service today, being set on Palm Sunday, we watch Jesus, you know, imaginatively watch Jesus ride in on a donkey. And now we're going to move to the communion table this week, today. But I want you to see that it's no coincidence that the devil took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, this place that represented God's presence among his people, God dwelling among his people, that Jesus in that place was tempted to test God's care by throwing himself off and waiting for God to save him. This is so significant. I want you to imagine Jesus up on top of that temple because from that vantage point, he could already see, I'm sure, the hill on which he would die. Visible to him one week away where he would be raised up high, even higher for all to see where he, the very son of God, who is the dwelling of God among people, the holy temple now personified, that Jesus would be hung out to die on a criminal's cross. And please hear this clearly. He would not be saved from it. He would not be protected from the pain. He would not be sheltered from the suffering. He would not be rescued. He would not be caught. He would not be cushioned. We enter into Holy Week now. And we're going to see Jesus put on humiliating display for all to watch. And he would suffer there seemingly abandoned without any evidence that the Father cared for him one little bit. Jesus would hang cursed upon that cross, 
cursed even by God's own good law. So that excruciating cross is coming. We're going to gather on Good Friday and meditate upon that. And it's from that cross that Jesus would be tempted again to throw himself down. But he wouldn't. Though he would be ridiculed for it, mocked for it, everyone around him would be calling on him to prove who he was by saving himself. But Jesus wouldn't do it. Later in Luke 23, as Jesus hung on the cross, we read this. We hear these words. Let me quote it for you. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Do you hear all the resonance of the temptations right there? All about his identity? All about save yourself? All about use it for, for your own good? It's all there. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There it is again. The written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. Uh, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Three times he is challenged to save himself. Oh, how tempting that must have been. He had the power. He was the son of God. He could have done it. Do we realize at that moment of temptation, all of that pain could have been gone? Jesus could have been saved? But he didn't give in. He didn't save himself. And the Father didn't save him either. Jesus didn't prove himself by removing himself. You could say he proved himself by staying up there. Well, how did he do that? My friends, I want you to see today that it's because the battle on the cross that he faced that Good Friday had already been settled back in the wilderness. Back here in this moment when the devil took him up to the pinnacle and tempted him to jump on Golgotha. The battle had already been won. Jesus knew that he didn't need to prove who he was to the Father. He didn't need to prove the Father's love and care. He needed only to trust in him. And even with all the evidence weighted to the contrary, even when he was surrounded by the voices of mocking derision and devilish lies, even when all hell was breaking loose on his broken body, Jesus trusted himself through his Father's promise, his Father's care. And so Jesus hung there without relief, without salvation, without protection. Did that mean the father's care wasn't there? Did that mean the father wasn't faithful? Does it mean the father failed? No. You see, Jesus knew the deeper truth of the story, the deeper truth of Psalm 91, the deeper truth of his identity, that despite all evidence to the contrary, the father's promise of love and care would endure beyond the cross. It would endure beyond the tomb. And it would be there to bring resurrection life. That his father's care would be proven yet again on resurrection morning. What Jesus knew, no one else could see. That that ugly crucifixion was not evidence against the father's trustworthiness, but rather the greatest expression of it. He wasn't saved, so we could be. 
Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.